Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe we have been having in-depth conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. Season 5 had some great adaptations, like our Meryl Streep Oscar-nominated performances series. We covered adaptations like Kramer vs. Kramer, Sophie's Choice, and The French Lieutenant's Woman. It's a real Sophie's Choice between those books. <laughs> you see what, I, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's quite at the level of a real Sophie's Choice. We also did Snowpiercer for our Bong Joon-ho series, adapted from the French graphic novel Le Transpersonnage. Man, I love that movie. We had our two-part 1939 series that included adaptations like Gone with the Wind, Ninochka, The Women, and The Hound of the Baskervilles. A number of those 1939 movies, like Goodbye, Mr. Chips, also tied into our recent 1940 Academy Award Best Picture nominee series. Our naughty children horror series had creepy adaptations like The Bad Seed, Village of the Damned, The Innocents, and Children of the Corn. For our Hayao Miyazaki series, we talked about his take on Lupin III with the Castle of Cagliostro, plus his own The Wind Rises. Some great listener choice picks, too. Viridiana and The Great Escape. And for our David Mamet Wright's series, The Verdict, The Untouchables, and Glengarry Glen Ross. Plus, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from our Shane Black series adapted from Brett Halliday's novel, Bodies Are Where You Find Them. Dive into the sources for all of these at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support the show. Check out thenextreel.com slash originals today and find your next read. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Happy birthday, Andy. Happy Happy birthday. birthday. (laughs) That's a a good uh, good one. Really? Yeah, Yeah, tis the season. Tis the season. You know, I'm getting geared up. Hey, uh, yeah, we've uh, we we hit a we hit a birthday. Eleven, eleven, eleven. Auspicious day. Mm. The day we I'm, started this thing. I'm glad you remember that anniversary. You know, I didn't. <laughs> I it was actually I didn't remember it at all. I knew it was November or around November, and around November every year I go in and I check. Hey, uh, this is when I think our birthday that? is here. And this year, my wife looked at me and she said, "Wait, when was it? Eleven, eleven in 2011. Eleven, eleven, eleven. And then it stuck for some reason. Hearing her say it, then it stuck. 11, 11, 11. And then I started talking to some other people about it. And they said, oh, well, if you pay attention to the numbers, that the you know astrology, then that is a very auspicious day for you to start a project like this. And maybe it's the only reason it's lasted so long is because you picked the right numbers, 11, 11, 11. And they all sound like George Takai. <laughs> <laughs> is that what George Takai sounds like? That's what he sounds like in my head. <laughs> wow. That's a terrible George Takai, isn't it? That's awful. I'm not even sure what that was. No? That's my new thing. New mountain to climb. That's going to be it. George Takai impersonator, here mm-hmm. I go. Mm-hmm. Yes, That's going to be it. Uh, so we're going to, uh, is this the part where we tighten it up? This is, is where going to be it? it up. Here it is. Begin the tightening now. Andy. Yes. Shall we tell the people where we're from? Where are we from? This is the next reel on Rashpixel.fm, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that over there is Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey! And we spoil movies tonight on the show, the second in our series on the films of Heyo Miyazaki with my neighbor Totoro. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you've ever ridden the psychedelic cat bus, baby, you better get on board The Next Reel's Instagram, hashtag PonyPrize, hashtag Guess the Movie Challenge. And since Stephen Smart has been finishing up his own holiday... I have been playing uh, Game Master, and this week's answer was Monsieur Hulot's holiday. And congratulations to Fegfi, who figured it out. It took a while this week, but uh, he did manage to finally figure it out with a bonus image. And he is now entered to win the 2015 Pony Prize. Outstanding. Congratulations, Fegfi. I love that name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a little bit of follow-up. You know what? I need to say, uh, I need to say this, and I don't think we ever actually did this a while ago. Uh, we had a, a very kind uh, listener, Nick, wrote us uh, an email and wrote a fantastic long email. And he, 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 we talked a little bit about him. He's from Australia. He's a very nice guy. He also said that the uh, our um, David Fincher social network episode was broken. And, and that was when everything, you know, 
Mm. Everything went came crazy. Down. Yeah, the walls yes. came tumbling down. But one of the things that he said, did we talk about this? Chekhov's gun? I uh, no, actually, I don't believe we did. I don't think we did either. And one of the thing, one of the things that he pointed out that I have this is lazy attribution is that in multiple shows uh, we misattributed the dramatic device known as Chekhov's gun to Alfred Hitchcock who used this but did not come up with it nor have it named after himself. It is it is more commonly referred to as Chekhov's gun, but I think there there are some dubious claims that it wasn't even Chekhov in the first place who did it. So uh, he was he included the Wikipedia page to Chekhov's gun, and it, he's absolutely right, uh, and that is just laziness on my part because I associate it with Hitchcock. Um, and so I've gotten lazy, and I appreciate him calling us out on that. That was a... Good one. Uh, anyhow, one of the other things, I fixed it and I wrote him, uh, and he said that he finally has listened to the episode. And an interesting fact I read about The Social Network, he says, was that despite it being a two-hour movie, the script was 168 pages long. That is a crazy long script, is what that is, don't you think? That's a wordy, wordy screenwriter there. Sorkin speak. Sorkin speak, as Nick yeah, says. Yes, so when you're when you're speaking that fast, I guess that yes. makes sense. So thank you, Nick, for catching up on these old shows and for calling us out and f- clearing the air. We really appreciate it, and thanks for catching up on all those shows. Good friend of the show, Ben Lott, has written in with a follow-up from last week's film. Yes, he did. How'd we do? Not so well this week. No, I yeah, surprisingly, I think uh, the bad seed. And, uh, and some of our other naughty children, Children of the Corn, may have actually fared better with him <laughs> than the Castle of Cagliostro. I tried to give the Castle of Cagliostro the benefit of the doubt because it was clearly based on some pre-existing characters. So I kept telling myself, just pretend you know these guys and have some reason to care about them. But it didn't work. I didn't like any of the characters and never found any reason to become invested in their story. I was shockingly bored by it. And about halfway through, I was tempted to hit fast forward. I knew things were really bad when I asked myself, is this going to beat anything when I flick chart it? The answer was yes, but even asking the question was not a good sign. Your rank 143 out of 209. My rank 206 out of 209. Man, I feel like such a Grinch after listening to your cute kids talking about what they liked in the movie. <laughs> wow. Oh, That's man. That's grim. That you know, we grim. should, we should, uh, that is a, a good point of update, don't you think? Because we yes. did this, we did this special little bit, right, where we recorded our kids talking about the movie. We did. As that, Ben uh... says. <laughs> I know I screwed up. So here's the thing. I rendered out the show last week. I was so excited about it because it took me forever to get the kids, all the kids stuff put together. And we put this little 10 minute segment at the end of the kids talking about the movie. And then when I rendered out the file from the, the MP3 from logic, I just didn't include that segment. It just, I didn't even notice it. It wasn't selected and I didn't, didn't save out as an MP3. So I went up to my daughter's room. I'm in bed and I, I say, come in here and listen to this. And she snuggles up with me, and I turn on my iPhone, and I download the show, and I zip to the end, and there's our Amazon BS, and no kids. It was incredibly disappointing. <laughs> so I fixed it the next day. But if you were one of, I'd say, the, the first couple of hundred downloaders, because I posted it late at night, I fixed it first thing in the morning. If you didn't hear the cute children at the end, and you're interested in cute children, delete it and go re-download it and skip all the way to the last 10 minutes. We had uh, we also had uh, Steve uh, Sarmento pointed out uh, uh, the cliffhanger game. 
Yeah, and I had a friend point that out as well. It's uh, uh, I don't know how that's something that uh, we both kind of missed in our childhood. I mean, yeah. it's it's on par. It's a, it's one of those old laserdisc video games where it was uh, it kind of like Dragon's Lair and Space Ace, the Don Bluth games, where it would be it would be like watching a cartoon, and then there would be triggers that happen on screen that would direct you to kind of move the joystick in a certain direction or hit the hit the action button or whatever. And they pulled a lot of scenes from uh, the castle of Cagliostro along with, I think the, the film prior to it. And then I think a little bit of, a, of original footage to create this game called cliffhanger in the early eighties. And I don't know where I was, but I completely missed that game. Oh, you said it. I mean, it literally missed it from our childhood. It was a piece of history that I feel like I, I have been deprived of. Apparently, and it's really sad because it, it's one of those that I think I really would have latched on to. And apparently Chunk is playing it at the very beginning of The Goonies when he sees the car, the police chase go by. And see, when I the first time I saw Goonies, I never would have made a connection to that because I hadn't seen this movie, yeah. Cagliostro. I wouldn't have either. Yeah. Anyway, that is a, a great connection. And I you can actually go through. The game is not very long. And so you can actually, uh, there there is a YouTube clip of a guy playing the whole thing. It takes about 15 minutes to get through the whole game if you if you play it well. So, uh, so I'll post that in the show notes. Excellent. All right. Um, uh, what else do we have? What's this Bong Joon-ho thing? Yeah, Netflix uh, is always, uh, you know, trying to, uh, trying to keep up its march into the cinema. Netflix is investing $50 million in Okja. I'm not sure how you say that. That's my guess. OKJA, an upcoming South Korean film from Snowpiercer director Bong Joon-ho, uh, produced by Plan B Productions, Brad Pitt's production company. The film co-stars Tilda Swinton, Jake Gyllenhaal, Paul Dano, and Bill Nye. Um, and says the lead role is yet to be cast, so none of them are the lead. Makes me very curious to see this, but it's you know it's exciting to to see that Netflix keeps doing this. And having just talked about Bong Joon Ho in a series, um, it's great to see kind of what he's doing next. And it's interesting that it's tied into Netflix. I think it's great. We're gonna have to start doing Netflix reviews. Yes, yes. <laughs> we need a, a lot sub, of those. We need a sub series. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, Universal uh, made some made some changes this week. Some rather uh, rather grandiose uh, uh, overtures to the theater. Yeah, the box office has just been uh, hit hard. I mean, all these movies that we've talked about, The Walk and uh, Steve Jobs, uh, Gem and the Holograms, just everything has been bombing. And it wasn't until this past uh, weekend with Spectre and the Peanuts uh, that uh, really the box office has kind of started coming back. Because the year started great, but man, it just hit a real slump um, with some of the films in the summer. And then October has been especially bad. And then uh, I think that uh, this weekend is finally getting back up and hopefully the box office will pick up again because, you know, we don't want all those poor studio execs out on the, uh, out on the street corners. Well, yes, because we're sad. We're sad for them. Mm, I, you know, it's, it is really interesting. I, you know, you see these films that are being pulled after just three, four, five weeks, um, you know, your favorite gem of the holograms. You talk about Steve Jobs pulled from more than 2000 theater. I think it's only playing in like 300 theaters anymore. Yeah. Um, but, but I have a feeling for films like, like jobs that we're expect, we're, we can expect a re-release at some point. Don't you think it's still <sighs> an odds on favorite for, for some Oscar performances. If it comes out with both Kate Winslet and, uh, Fassbender getting an Oscar nod, I have a feeling we'll see it again around the new year. Possibly. That could happen, but um, it's also hard to 
to say this is going to get much um, award notice when if it did so. It. Yeah, when it did so poorly at the box office. Yeah. A lot of box office bombs that happen to be good just kind of get forgotten when it comes time to award seasons. So. Uh, it's getting an awful lot of press about being pulled, and that makes me think something's some somebody's going to have a memory for it. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll All right. see. All right. The die is cast, Andrew. What else do we have? Is that it? I think that's I it. I think that's it. Andy, it's time. Let's do trailers. How close were you to, do, to doing my big fat Greek wedding too for your trailer pick? Ah, uh, you. <laughs> oh. I want to go first, and it's not my big fat Greek wedding too. <laughs> I'm actually pretty excited about this film. I, I, uh, I didn't. I didn't see it coming. I'd heard something about it. I didn't give it a lot of thought. And suddenly it's here and I've seen the trailer and I am floored for it. This is, of course, Moonwalkers. It's been floating around for a while. I've heard about it for a while. It even says it was originally a 2015 release, like it's floating around some festivals somewhere. But it's it's not going to hit until early 2016. A CIA agent and a rock manager team up to help Stanley Kubrick fake the moon landings. This comes from director Antoine Bardot-Jacquet and Dean Craig uh, writing. Stars Ron Perlman, Rupert Grint, Robert Sheehan, uh, uh, Stephen Campbell Moore, uh, Jeannie Abram, uh, Carrie Shale, uh, and, and the list goes on. It looks really funny. It looks really darn funny. And little Ron Weasley, I think he, I think he can act. I think it looks really clever. I love the whole conceit of <laughs> the not real Stanley Kubrick <laughs> having to kind of direct this fake moon landing. Yes. Uh, very much cracked me up. Dean Craig wrote the uh, both versions of Death at a Funeral, mm -hmm. which I really enjoyed. I thought that was just a fantastic... I, I definitely preferred the original uh, yeah. more than the remake, but really funny, clever film. This just has a lot of great humor in it, and I really hope, I really hope that it works really well because I uh, really enjoyed the trailer. I I know nothing of this uh, Antoine Bardot Jacquet. Uh, I don't either. Did a short called Wacky Races in 2013, um, and apart from that, uh, that that apparently did well. A, a few people have given it uh, an eight or above. Nine users have given it an eight or above on IMDb. So mm -hmm. you know. That speaks volumes. Uh, but it, it really has a fantastic tone. It it just reminds me of something that, uh, that feels like home a little bit. I think this is going to be a, I think it's going to be clever. I'm putting my Excellent. money on clever. What's yours? And when is that open? Oh, January, early January. Sorry. January, January 16th. So. Uh, looks like uh, January 16th, 2016. Well, I want to see it. No, I lied. January 15th, 2016. Don't go a day late. You'll have already missed the buzz. <laughs> they might have pulled it. They pulled it already. <laughs> well, mine is John Hillcoat's new film, Triple Nine, which opens February 19th, 2016. Um, John Hillcoat has done some really interesting films. Um, the Proposition, I thought, was a really interesting Western. I didn't, I didn't like it that much, but I really enjoyed what he was doing with it. And I am one of the people who just really love The Road. I love the book, and I love what he did with the uh, the cinema version of it. Skipped Lawless. That uh, didn't have any interest for me. But this film really uh, just, just captures my attention. A gang of criminals and corrupt cops plan the murder of a police officer in order to pull off their biggest heist yet across town. 
Um, aside from John Hillcote directing it, I mean, geez, the cast, we've got Norman Reedus, uh, Kate Winslet, which uh, <laughs> I didn't even recognize her when I watched the trailer. Not she at looks, all. Because uh, really, it's like Kate Winslet's hair is really what you're looking at. Uh, Teresa Palmer, Gal Gadot, Aaron Paul, Woody Harrelson, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Anthony Mackie, Casey Affleck, Clifton Collins Jr., Michelle Ang. I mean, it's just a huge cast, and uh, they all look really interesting in the film. It's great seeing uh, Chewie playing a little bit kind of of a criminal. I don't know if he's the criminal mastermind of these uh, of these crimes, but I love seeing him kind of in that role. And uh, it just looks dark. It looks gritty. It looks like a great intense crime uh, thriller and i am quite excited to see this one what about you oh i love that when the money goes off they're all parading around in their gorilla clothing that's all pink right <laughs> they get blasted with the paint <laughs> that's fantastic that makes me very happy no i'm with you and didn't this one end up on our film board list for next year i think it is i, I think this think is going to be our february film board it is i'm excited that we're a talking about it now and b going to follow up with an actual show on it i think it looks uh, it looks that interesting to me and we picked it at least i picked it without even having seen the trailer i just picked it based on the cast this is a cast oh, yeah. i want to see together kate winslet uh, what is the deal with her all of a sudden she's taking on these roles where she is completely transformed. Uh, even Steve Jobs, it was it, it was not a look for her that I ever would have expected. And suddenly she, I mean, she she just she's great. She's I, I'm very excited to see her in these uh, much more sort of physically transformative roles. I think that's the more of that, the better. Absolutely, that's it. I'm excited about. It. I'm with you, Pete. Yes. Try laughing, then whatever scares you will go away. <laughs> It's the good time fly-high fantasy you've been looking for. It's a journey that will take you to heights you've always dreamed about. Hang on tight to my neighbor, Totoro. They're furry. They're cuddly. They're huge. And they're loud. And most of all, they're lovable. And there was a little one. And one this big. And a great. But to grown-ups, you don't believe me. They're invisible. <laughs> Enter a beautiful new world of enchantment, <laughs> where your house turns out to be a magical playground, <laughs> and your neighbor is a magical Totoro. <laughs> You'll laugh with Totoro. You'll cry with Totoro. Best of all, you'll fly with Totoro. Since the time you were small, you've dreamed of adventures this tall. My neighbor Totoro. Tonari no Totoro. Totoro, Totoro. The, uh... This is 1998, this or 1988 film from Studio Ghibli, Hayao Miyazaki, writer, director, uh, stars a, a lot of wonderful Japanese people as the, the voices, and we will talk about some of them, and then we will talk uh, much more about the, uh, the dubbed voices in the releases that we saw. Mm. That's what we're going to do. Uh, this is a film that it follows on uh, Cagliostro, Castle Cagliostro, in our conversation, and uh, obviously a lot of years in between the production of those two films. Very different film. 
oh, yeah. uh, in, in Totoro. It Tell, tells a story of two girls that moved to the country to be near their ailing mother, who has uh, uh, been admitted to a hospital near there. Uh, they have these adventures with uh, forest spirits who live in the trees in the brush nearby. And the forest spirits are giant uh, blimpy animal creatures. Uh, and they're soft, and they're kind of like uh, cat bunny penguins. Uh, cat bunny penguin beavers. Penguin? Yeah, no, when you look at a penguin. Oh, it. totally. Please. You look mean, at the cover mean, art. Of... Look at the cover art, and it's like you take off the ears, you see the Totoro next to the girl with the umbrella, and you, it's, that is a penguin. I think I think Miyazaki says that they're a blend of uh, kind of that ra- raccoon dogs in Japan, which are kind of a thing or something. I think the raccoon dogs is what they call them, and a cat and an owl. And yeah, the- and I'm saying I've I heard that, and I'm saying that I that's, see the owl. that's incorrect. <laughs> it's cat, bunny, penguin, beaver. Okay, that is what you what you're going for. Uh, let it just let it sink in <laughs> and if you if at any point somebody wanted to challenge that and just draw if you've never seen totoro just sit down and draw what you think a cat bunny penguin beaver would look like and let's see if they match just sketch it out <laughs> take a picture of it and tag us on twitter i would love cat to see that bunny penguin beaver that should be on the t-shirt for <laughs> that <laughs> for 2016 <laughs> Uh, this is a funny uh, it's a funny film because in in so many ways you know it's it's once again it's the this this form of animation that is has been sort of pioneered by uh the godfather uh Hayao Miyazaki it's it's a a form of animation that really deals in uh beauty and intimacy and growth uh and not in uh action and violence and and kinetics and it takes a little bit of adjustment uh, because you're never sure. It's like, when's, when's the beat going to drop on this cartoon? Uh, and it never really does. It ends up being just sweet and, and heartwarming and wonderful all the way to the end. And, and that, I think, can be jarring to some viewers. How does it, uh, how does it hit you on this watch? Uh, well, I mean, I love it. I think this is just a, a fantastic film. It's, it is my favorite Miyazaki film um, it is probably, uh, you know, in the top 10 of my favorite animated films out there. Um, I, I just love watching it. I love the simplicity of it. I love how, how gentle it is and how, um, how much I get from the, just the little details and just kind of those, those little things that happen throughout the film that are just so, uh, so simple. And, I, but it's like the film is really reveling in the simplicity of all of those things and um yeah and and i've never really found it boring it's just it has a pace that is definitely slower than a lot of um a lot of other films uh, certainly modern films but that uh that doesn't mean that it's it's boring i don't think um I am always engrossed by it. My kids are engrossed by it. It's just something that we kind of get into. And I, I really enjoy that. It's almost a celebration of kind of that innocence and the simplicity um, of things that are happening within the story. I, I agree with you. And I, did I say the word boring? Because I shouldn't have. No, I don't think so. I, but I was just, you know, the pacing and everything. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I was implying that you... I think you. Boring. I think you may have inferred that I implied 
boredom, and I did no such thing, sir. A gentleman does not do such things. I uh, I actually I I adore it. I uh, and I am I find myself surprised every time I turn it on uh, that I like it as much as I do. do you know, it's right, like it's yeah. not at all the kind of movie that I would expect myself to really connect with, but I do. And I think the thing that sticks out most for me is that the most beautiful pieces of this movie, of this bit of animation, are the things that are to me the most human. And maybe I couldn't have made that connection before I had kids of my own. Uh, but this is a, a movie that as an adult, I think I connect with because it teaches lessons on parenting. It teaches lessons on developmental issues that kids go through. It teaches lessons on, you know, what it means to be protective versus guiding. Uh, it, it teaches lessons on the things that, that um, you know, that, that we are meant to fear and the things that we are not meant to fear. Uh, and, and I find that those things, I would never expect to take those kinds of lessons at the depth that they are presented here in such a simple package. Um, I, I would never have expected those as, to, to see those lessons as, as an adult. Um, and, and I think that's one of the interesting things about Miyazaki. I mean, my kids, too, are riveted when they watch this film. I mean, they just, they, they love it. They just are completely connect with it immediately. I, I guarantee you they're not getting the same lessons that I do. I, f I wish that I could have seen it at their age so that I could come back to it at dif different chapters in my life and see what it teaches me. It's, it's like a meditation. Yeah, that's a good word for it. It definitely feels meditative. And uh, I would be, um, yeah, I would love to have watched this at a really young age to see um, kind of what my thoughts were with it as I got older. But um, yeah, yeah, I guess what, I can't. Can you, would you <laughs> just talk briefly about the story of, of Totoro and then I'll tell you what it's really about. Oh, okay. Teaser. Wow. Um, <laughs> sure. Um, a father and his two daughters move to the country. Their mother is in a hospital uh, somewhat nearby. And uh, this it kind of takes place, it never really says it, but reading about it, it takes place in the 50s. The mother most likely um, has tuberculosis and is kind of in a sanatorium kind of getting herself all better. And uh, while the kids are living out in the country now... Um, one of them ends up befriending a forest spirit, a Totoro, and uh, they kind of, you know, go on a few adventures and learn a few things and visit their mom. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of the story. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the climax of the film really is the is the the fear of loss right i mean it's when it's when right because may, may tries leaves. to go she runs right tries she to go visit the mom she tries to make it to mom's hospital all by herself and gets lost and satsuki has to uh enlist the help of the forest spirits of totoro and the cat bus to go basically try to track her down and figure out what happened to may and this, I think, is the most surprising thing, because every time I see it, my instinct is that this movie is going to be a lesson about death. Somebody's <laughs> going to die in this movie, and it's probably going to be mom, but then May runs away, and I think maybe somehow while the movie has been sitting you know, on my computer over the last few years that it, it has evolved, and now May is going to be found dead somewhere, and it's going to be a lesson of, of the older sister trying to cope with the, the death of her <laughs> loved ones. That's what I am, because that's, who, that's culturally who I am. That's, that's horrible. It's going to be a, a lesson about death, and it's, it's not. At the end of the film, 
everybody is together, and then finally in the closing song, we see the pictures of the mom reading the story, the troll, the, the you know the troll bridge story, and, and with the two daughters, everybody's there and happy. Mom has survived, etc. So, th- enter conspiracy theories. Oh, okay. now have you read about the conspiracy theories? I haven't. I have not. Oh dear, Andy, there are a plenty of them. Oh, there are a plenty of them. I'm sure there People are. People <laughs> who are thinking about the symbolism of this film and uh, what it could possibly mean, what Hayao Miyazaki was possibly talking about as he was actually making this film. And it turns out the Totoro, they are not the spirits of the forest. They are not imagination. They are not, um, you know, Hobbes to your Calvin. Uh, they are, in fact, angels of death, Andy. Uh, wow. And this whole film is a, apparently a take on the Sayama incident, in which a man kidnaps a 16-year-old girl and kills her in 1968, and the older sister uh, apparently started uh, she started having delusions and killed herself, and it was a whole murder-suicide in the 60s, and that is what this story is, and at the as the movie progresses, the story of the sisters, we lose the younger sister, and then the older sister goes crazy and goes to talk to the spirits in the woods who guide her to death. And how do we know? Because the last scene of the kids together, they're standing on the road and they have no shadows. And then they go into the hospital, or they go into, mom is released from the hospital, but is she really released? No. She is freed from her mm. earthly bonds in death. Now, all three of the girls, mother and two daughters, are so dead. They're re- reading Read, the they're troll re- story in yes, heaven. Yes, they're reading, reunited and reading the troll story in heaven. That apparently is one of the most uh, uh, amusing of the uh, conspiracy theories. There are plenty of them. And if you're entertained, if you're entertained by such things, these alternate interpretations of Hayao Miyazaki animation. You should you should dig into them because they it's a rat hole that runs very very deep. Uh, in fact, this is the one that was disputed by Hayao Miyazaki himself, uh, who actually released a statement saying, "No, in fact, Totoro is has nothing to do with the Sayama incident. In fact, the girls are based on uh, the uh, interpretation, his interpretation of uh, one of his friend's daughters." And um, that it really is just a sweet story. But man, man, can you imagine how grim it would be if you were a guy who was retelling these horrific crime stories through your sweet, sweet transformative animations? That's pretty dark. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, I saw uh, a quote from Miyazaki that said, entertainment back then was all about guns, action, and speed. I wanted my movie to be peaceful, tranquil, and innocent. So... (laughs) Yeah, right. <laughs> Which is a great But quote. secretly about death. But if you play it backwards. <laughs> uh, okay. Wow. All right. What are the okay. so so where how do you want to pull this apart? Um I that's a good question. I I think let's start with the uh with the characters and just kind of the the interaction of kind of these fanciful um beings. The girls were originally uh, one girl uh, in the in the sort of I, I guess you would call that pre visualization this concept stage. Uh, 
And that's why the original artwork, when you look at the cover art, is a Totoro standing next to one girl. If you're if you're watching the film, you notice that the 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 girl at the bus stop is not a girl. It is a girl and her sister with her arms wrapped around her neck. Uh, she's on her back. And um, it, it turns out that the this girl after that concept stage was split into into two, uh, into May and Satsuki. And I think that was a wonderful, wonderful gift of uh, of an insight to make these two girls. I think being able to see the relationship between them is so much more special than than the solo kind of uh, progression of an individual. Well, and I think there's something to be said for this young girl, May, who I guess is probably about five. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think she was four. I think she says four. In the film yeah, that's she's right. Four, four. right. Four years old. Um, to be the one who first sees the 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 small Totoro kind of strolling around mm-hmm. in the yard collecting acorns, um, as she's just kind of outside doing her own exploration, I, I found that to be. Um, just a smart way to enter the story by by us kind of connecting through this four-year-old girl into kind of this world of you could almost say make-believe even though it's kind of you know we're seeing seeing these as the spirits of the forest but no adults can see them it's just the kids who can see them and it's only this four-year-old who just barely sees it i mean she mm-hmm. it's almost just kind of this 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 uh, ghostly figure of this small Totoro that she uh, catches a glimpse of and then um, then through perseverance ends up following it and the middle-sized Totoro uh, to meet the big Totoro that we all know and love. And I think that's a very way to uh, a very smart way to um, get us into this uh, story and this relationship between these kids and the forest spirits. Even uh, Satsuki, you know, she's like, gosh, I hope I get to meet the forest spirits one day and uh eventually she does and it but it's it's a nice uh touch that it all comes through the eyes of the youngest child and that is kind of our doorway into this other world i i really liked that and uh, and i liked how they they take take things that can seem so big in a kid's mind um for instance the scene where they grow the bamboo forest overnight um after they had planted all those little seeds actually i don't know if it's a bamboo forest or whatever sort of forest it is but they plant all the seeds in the garden and they're waiting 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 for days and days for for the seeds to sprout but nothing's happening and then one night they uh hear totoro and the little totoros all out there doing kind of a, a, a almost like a rain dance sort of thing something to get these um, seeds to sprout and the the girls go and join them and create this huge you know, just over the course of seconds really this huge growth of all these seeds sprouting and growing to create this massive uh, forest right next to their house um, which is just a beautiful scene and then what's uh, my favorite part of that though is um, when they wake up the next morning and they run out to go see it and it's not there but all the seeds have actually sprouted and you get these you get this joy from just seeing oh wow they actually sprouted and it really worked and it's like whatever was in their imagination just you know transfers to the joy of just having these little tiny sprouts popping out of the ground yeah and it's 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 kind of a special thing when you when you get to watch his interpretation of these kids discovering the beauty of natural coincidence um, you know, that their imagination was so powerful that it can conjure uh, the, the spirits of the woods to create life. 
Um, and, and, you know, from an adult perspective, we're watching these kids just learn about the fact that growth takes time and it took a long time. And then, then at some point it sprouts and it's beautiful and it can be celebrated and they're so excited about it. I think that's really wonderful. And you know, it, it made me think, and, and if you're following us on Facebook, uh, a dear friend of the show, Philip Hurd pointed out, uh, the kingdom of dreams and madness, which is a documentary I had not seen before this week, but it is streaming on Netflix, um, at, at least, uh, definitely in the. U.S. and it's not so much a detailed story of how they made these films. That's not. It's not like a a, a behind the scenes kind of a thing. But it really is a, an interesting story about the characters that make up this this crazy office. It's it's closer to the office uh, than it is. Uh, That's funny. <laughs> it's like the Japanese office. It's it's really a fine place to work. It's. <laughs> The Japanese do everything just really <laughs> sweetly. Um, anyhow, it, one of the things that they pointed out is that, in fact, uh, Miyazaki does not script any of his films. He storyboards them. Uh, he storyboards them early, and even production is is based on early storyboards before he's even finished, um, you know, his films. But I, I found myself really kind of sitting here stunned, watching this sweet little dream, thinking, God, you know, he just th- this is just uh, pen to paper. Uh, extraction of a narrative isn't yeah. that isn't that remarkable yeah it's it's a very interesting way to go about um creating these stories but i think in a large way it also speaks to miyazaki and the experience that we as the viewers have when we watch his films because it does in such a large sense feel like the visuals play such a key part to the experience um i won't say more so than the dialogue but it really is uh, you know this visual animated story that we're watching and uh, to a certain extent the dialogue it's it's not like you know clever movie dialogue or anything like that it 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 serves its purpose in the story and it gets us through it, but it really is the imagination within these images, you know, these fascinating soot gremlins that we get to see kind of puffing around um, and, and how the, the Totoro creatures uh, react and everything and all of that stuff and the cat bus. And then how all of that ends up translating through all the different uh, Miyazaki films that he's made. He has such quirky little characters um, all through his films that are always so interesting to watch that just feel so slightly off. You know, they're just not something that's that's real and it just all feels just a little, a little quirky in a way that we've never seen it before. And I think that all comes from the fact that this is how, how he comes to his stories first. It's all through that visual uh, side. Um, this is uh, ultimately, uh, back to the girls, it's ultimately a story of... Um of uh, growth uh, for me uh, i should say i mean it's it's very much a story of these uh, particularly satsuki of of coming to terms with the fears that can cross her path at any given time the fear of losing her mother and that they the dynamic between um you know the sisters as she kind of comes to terms with the fact that they've they've moved their whole lives to this village to be closer to her mother who may be dying um and and when she fears the loss of her sister, my goodness, the scene where, um, well, I should say the 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 moments of of tension around uh, her transformative uh, transformative events of, and you already mentioned the first one, the the moment of tension around her not being able to see the Totoro uh, leads to a wonderful revelation when she finally can. 
but it also, that is, is in so many ways a celebration of her as still a young girl. And over the course of the movie, as she comes more to, term with the, to terms with these fears and how to handle the things, the, the stressors that cross her, her path in life, uh, when she no longer needs the Totoro at the end of the movie, we see her that is, that's, that's sort of a maturing or a flowering of her into, into this, new, um, this new chapter of her life. And I think that ends up being a, a really special and interesting um, bit of kind of introspection on screen. Screen. Um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons that makes these characters, as simply as they are portrayed, deceptively complex. That's, that is very true. I think it's, it's so much of it is about all of these little things that, that uh, really kind of make up um, such key emotional core elements of, of these characters. The, the father, the relationship between the father and the daughters is one that always, uh, it always sort of plagues me. Uh, because... <laughs> Because it's it's aspirational. I feel like I need to be more like this dude. <laughs> I know, right? It's like I, I feel like you know he he's not worried about being a helicopter parent at all. He you know his little four year old is just <laughs> right. you know racing around playing in the woods out behind the house. <laughs> right. No fears at all. Right. I you know I'd love to have that sense of security with my children when I'm not uh, paying attention to them. Yeah, I mean, now I I live in a, a lovely neighborhood. I have a fine neighborhood and really, truly fine neighbors. If you're listening to this, I love you people. Uh, I I don't happen to have a swampy bog anywhere nearby or giant, many hundreds of years old woods uh, with you know duck aqueducts and things. I, and and I still would not let my four year old run <laughs> the lengths of the wilds uh, <laughs> unsupervised. That seems insane to me. Um, and maybe I I should have. Maybe I should have been a little bit more free. Uh, it's yeah i mean it's it's really uh it is like you said it's aspirational and it's he keeps his cool around some other really interesting things too right i mean the the fact is that you know we see him stressed at some point uh stress when he's you generally when he's sitting at his desk and for me that that symbol of work equals stress is is well it's not lost uh on me at least but um but the fact is he really does keep his cool around the fact that his he's moved his girls to this to this you know slightly more westernized or or not westernized but modernized uh house in a in a village of houses that are not modernized um and he uh you know he's done this because he wants to be closer to his wife that is potentially dying let, yeah. let, let's not put too fine a point out she may be dying Right. I would have I would not be so cool. No, he he handles it really well. Um I mean, I think a lot of that is Miyazaki's decision to not focus on that element of the story. I mean, he certainly is focusing on the lighter, more innocent side of just the girls and their experience. So, I mean, there may be darker elements and darker days in Dad's life, but we're not seeing it in this film. Interestingly, this film opened on a double will a double bill with Grave of the Fireflies, which which really throws me for a loop because those the two films could not be more different as far as as far as the, as the direction for the films. Grave of the Fireflies is one of the hardest anime films to watch. It's just so tragic and painful. It's incredibly beautiful. I really love the film, but it is a real downer, and I, I can I can only assume that they put these two films together so that 
people didn't walk out of the theater wanting to kill themselves after watching Grave of the Fireflies, <laughs> but that this film would bring them back up. <laughs> well, and, and I want to get back to this point about the darkness. I, I actually think that, I, and I think you're right. I mean, he's focusing more intentionally on the the experiences of the of the girls, but the experiences of the families is, is I think, an important one. And it's one of those mm-hmm. negative space discussions structurally. Like, I think that, uh, you know, we talked about what you get out of this film as an adult. I think that what's so interesting about it is you really do, because of the focus on what you, uh, on the experiences of the girls, um, the experience of the dad, the experience of the village being aware of why he's there, um, all of those things are are that much more apparent. I think that there was there was intention in just how those things were portrayed. The the more adult uh, concepts were portrayed. They certainly weren't lost on my on my daughter. I mean, she was she watched this. She's you know she's I don't know how old is she thirteen, and she she said the um, she, you know her comment was you know wow that's pretty serious that they are that they are having to adjust to you know this experience and mo- uproot their lives for something that is potentially so terrifying yeah right no it really is and i mean i think the the bathtub scene is a great one that shows mm-hmm. how dad really is a master at handling uh tricky situations with these kids just the way that he comes up with this thing where he just laughs in the face of uh whatever scares them and that helps these kids kind of get through it. And you see these kids being really tough in moments where they are afraid. Uh, several times when they go into a dark room and they see the little uh, soot gremlins and it kind of uh, is a little off-putting to them, they scream like, uh, you know, like banshees as they walk into the room to scare all this stuff away. And so it's like they have had these lessons from dad time and time again, and it has really kind of taught them to face their fears. And these kids are really good examples of being able to to face things and find that they may not really be as scary as you think they are. I think that's really, really true. Uh, how about the grandmother? What do you think of grandma? Uh, she's one of those those creepy uh, grandparent characters that works really well because I think that there is this kind of just creepiness to her. Um, not in a sense that, you know, she's, uh, you know, creepy stalker grandma or anything like that. Just in the sense that, um, you know, she just, she looks like one of those those older characters who knows uh, it just is really insightful in things and can kind of see more than uh your parents can and the kids kind of pick up on that um i really like her i think that she's a a very uh, fun character and uh i yeah i think that she's great i think pat carroll uh who does her voice in the um in the uh 2006 version um i think she's great as as granny I do too. I think, you know, when you look at sort of the traditional symbols of, of grandmother, they're just all sort of right on display here, right? It's the, the, she represents intuition, you know, she represents strength and wise choices. Uh, you know, when, uh, when you are handed, uh, when you're handed bad luck, what you feel like is bad luck, the grandmother symbol is a stabilizing uh, effect. And, and I think you see that, you know, all over the place, like the fact that she is even there uh, as a, a foundational element of this village, an anchor when the family arrives uh, is, is a testament to that, you know, 
they're they're down on their luck as a family, as sweet and happy as they are. They're down on their luck given why they're there, and and Granny helps to to reflect that sort of power and strength uh, in the face of of fear. And I, I just love the way that the character is portrayed. Yeah. Yeah, she's she is wonderful. And it's also nice seeing that, you know, she has a moment of her own fear when she finds the lost sandal and she's the one who kind of gets the whole search going thinking that May might have drowned in one of the rice paddies. Uh yes, she did. She organized the organized the search in the rice paddy. That was a horrible scene when she when they find the shoe it floating That's... in the river. And you know what's funny about that is everybody <laughs> so they lose the shoe. And then Satsuki runs up and she says, no, that's not, that's not May's shoe. And everybody rejoices, right? right? Nobody stops to think there may be another girl drown in that thing. They all just sort of pack it up and go home. <laughs> Again, I it's think that's terrible. more me than, that than them. terrible. But just awful. You're a dark person. I am. <laughs> I didn't say it was right. <laughs> what else? What else do you want to talk about? The um, uh, well, we should, let's talk about the voices. Okay, so do you want to talk about Japanese voices, or go ahead and talk about the voices that we heard? Um, yeah, I I've watched this film a number of times um, before I had kids, and I always watched the Japanese version. Um, I thought those voices were great. Um, Noriko Hidaka uh, plays Satsuki, and I believe um. Was she the one? Uh, no, she wasn't in much else that I had recognized. I believe it was the person who played May, uh, Chika Sakamoto, who um, played May, who also was in Nausicaa of the yeah, Valley she was of the in Wind Nausicaa, right. and Kiki's Delivery Service. And uh, Chika was born in 1959, so uh, you know was <laughs> was was pushing uh, 30 yeah. when uh, when she did the voice of May. And interestingly, she actually came back to do the voice of May again in a short film in 2002 called May and the Kitten Bus, which if you poke around on the internet, you can find a, uh, uh, you know, recordings of that that people uh, illicitly did. Uh, May and the Kitten Bus only plays, my understanding, it only plays at, uh, in a theater on the tour of Studio Ghibli. So that's the only way to actually see that short Um but you can poke around and find it. I watched it, and it's actually really cute. Um, but yeah, uh, which is important because I think, as I understand it, um, Miyazaki does not do does not do sequels. Like we know he he hasn't done sequels, but he is he is against sequels. Right. Yeah, I don't think he's ever really wanted to develop a full sequel, yeah. and uh, so it's it's just kind of a cute little continuation. You get to see um, it's really interesting in the development of the cat bus characters because you get to see a kitten sized one, and you get to see how they as they grow. I mean, the cat bus that we see is bus sized, and they just get bigger and bigger until finally at the end you're seeing this one that's basically the size of a cruise ship, and <laughs> and it's got like so many legs you can't even count them. It just looks like waves of a millipede uh, moving along and it's flying through the air and basically it, it's like ha having a uh, Totoro convention inside there are just they are all picking up Totoros and taking them to this big convention on the uh, cat bus cruise ship that's awesome <laughs> so, it's pretty it's pretty crazy it's definitely worth watching but yeah Chika Sakamoto returned to do the voice of May for that as well so 
uh, clearly has um, has a connection to that character and clearly has the right voice where uh, she can keep playing a four-year-old character even when she's, uh, you know, what is that, like 45? So, uh, yeah, Hitoshi Takagi does Totoro. Um, Hitoshi Takagi had been around in films. Um, 1925 you know, he was born. Yeah. Crazy. Right. Been in a lot of films, including... Uh, his, well, his first film, Throne of Blood, uh, a little Kurosawa as uh, Suzuki as a Suzuki guard. So mm-hmm. it sounds like a bit part, but still uh, kind of an interesting character there. And um, I mean, that's really all I have for those uh, characters. Um, the English characters, um, I don't even know if it's worth mentioning any of the characters that were done in the nineteen. 19- the early '90s English dub of this, I just heard it was really horrible, and it was released by I believe 50th Street Films, which was actually like, um, oh gosh, it was like Troma. It's like a division of Troma, which seems like a really strange um, company to be releasing this film. Luckily, it was uh, re-released again. Yes, luckily, uh, yes, Disney did it again, and as Disney has been doing with all these. Uh, releases they uh, are upping the uh, ante as far as the voice uh, voice casts when they get a chance Mm -hmm. this one they were very smart i thought by casting dakota and l fanning the two sisters as satsuki and may um just you could really kind of sense the relationship there yeah they were they were smart and really lucky yeah right uh because how often does that happen uh, I don't think very often where you have these two sisters who are at the right age uh, to be able to pull off these uh, these little sweet little voices. And I think you're right. I think they do a great job. I think they are immediately just magnetic uh, voices. I mean, I just really, they just complete the whole package. Yeah. Oh, they're wonderful. I really love them. And Tim Daly as the dad, I think there's something just really relaxed about his read that adds to that feeling of uh, that perfect father <laughs> yeah. that we all long to be. Yeah. I mean, it, until I saw him in that, what was that? He does the infomercial now about like kidney medicine or something. Does he? Yeah. He's at a I, restaurant I mean, and the, these two old people walk up to him and say, you know, what are you ordering, Tim Daly? And he turns around and says, yes, I am Tim Daly, and I'm ordering something that's good for my kidneys. I don't know the whole thing. I'll have to find it. That's so funny. All I can think about is wings. Ah, there you go. I mean, come on. Wings. That was great. Tim Daly, Steven Weber. Yeah, that's kind of a defining uh, show for him. Yeah, it was. I had such a crush on Crystal Bernard. Mm. The um, Lea Salonga is mom. You You don't even want to comment on Crystal Bernard? I can't remember her. You're I can't. Call, you're calling oh. me out. You're calling me out. Come on. Well, it, it, I have to say that because I also had a crush on Leia Salonga. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Did I ever have a crush on Leia Salonga? Woof. That's funny. Mulan, Aladdin, and then she did. Of course, it was. It was then she was in. Uh, uh, she did all her Broadway stuff. Um, yeah, she was. Uh, um... Uh, I believe she was the first Asian actress to play uh, in Les Mis. She was. She mm-hmm. was. And wasn't she, she was in, the, what was the, uh, goodness. That big one. Yeah, it was the, with the, all I can think about is the big scene at the end where the helicopter The helicopter, comes down. Miss Saigon. Miss Saigon, yeah, she was yep. Miss Saigon. She Why was, couldn't I right. think of that? Yep. Oh, yep. She was the lead in that. crush. That's, that was, um, I believe, where I first heard of her was that yes. show. Yes, 
because it was right around that that she came she did uh, uh aladdin um, yes yeah just uh, just shortly after that yeah he was a jasmine right yep yeah yep. no yeah she's great i uh the the role of the mother isn't big but i do think she uh lends a nice touch to it and pulling from the disney uh bit pat carroll who i already mentioned as the uh as the grandma of course is ursula the sea witch <laughs> yes <laughs> and i i I just it it makes me crack up when I hear Granny talking because I can hear Ursula in there, but she sounds way too nice to be Ursula. <laughs> but I still, it's just one of those funny things. And my daughter loves um, like hearing different voices and figuring out who they are and what they were from. And so I told her, oh, yeah, that's Ursula the Sea Witch. And so she gets so excited knowing that oh that person did that and that, and she really gets into that. So it's it's fun to point things like that out, especially going from such an iconic character as Ursula to Granny. Oh, totally. But then you look at her credits, and my goodness, she has been doing voices forever. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, she has she, been around. Just amazing. Um, so yeah, she's great. Yeah. Uh, let's see who else is on the list. Well, I think another big one is Frank Welker, who uh, actually oh. does the voice of Totoro and the Cat Bus, which is such um, a funny—it's uh, such a funny thing to call a voice. Yeah, it, but that's Frank Welker, especially I mean, given Frank Welker's voice pedigree. Well, but he does. I mean, he does a lot of famous voices mm-hmm. that you know, like. Um, you Megatron. Know, he was Fred. Well, Fred in Scooby Doo, Jabberjaw. He was yeah, yeah Megatron and Galvatron, um, Doctor Claw and Inspector Gadget. He, but he does so many interesting things with his voice. Yeah. Um, and as somebody who has done voiceovers, like he's always been kind of one of those inspirational sorts of guys because he does such amazing things. Like uh, you know, he gets hired to be like the the voice of the eagle in Rescuers Down Under, you yeah. know, doing the just the screeches and things like that. And and he is that guy who you go to to pull off, you know, whatever weird, quirky voice things you need to have done. In terms of credits, he may hold the the record for us. I don't think we've ever had anyone over 700 IMDb credits. That's and he comes credits. in at 751. Frank Welker, what what an amazing career. Holy cow. And he's from Denver. I like him even more. Uh, all right. Yeah, he was the he's he's the he's the big dog here. Oh yes. The big, the big Totoro dog. Yeah. Dog cat. Owl uh, beaver. All right. Penguin. <laughs> dog cat beaver penguin. Penguin whatever, beaver. Whatever it is. Cat it bunny. Is. It was the cat bunny beaver penguin. There you go. I'm almost sure penguin that's what beaver. it was. Cat bunny penguin beaver. Penguin beaver. Beaver was at the yeah. end. There you go. Yeah. There right. you go. So funny. Uh anything else on your list? Um, we had, uh, we had mentioned that, um, uh, with the last film, Castle of Cagliostro, it was not Studio Ghibli, but it was after, um, his next film, Miyazaki's next film, uh, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, and the success of that film that he ended up, uh, creating this wonderful studio. And uh, so this would have been, uh, I believe, I guess it would be the second film because then Castle in the Sky came out in 86. And I think that may be his first feature under Studio Ghibli and then My Neighbor Totoro. Um, In that time, he was also still directing episodes of TV shows. But starting, I think, with... uh, Wait a minute. Say that again? Because Castle in the Sky and then what? And then My Neighbor Totoro. What about Grave of the Fireflies? 
He didn't direct that. Oh, you're right. He didn't direct that. Right. right Sorry, right. I was I was talking yeah. specifically okay. of films that he directed. Yes. No, you're right. Yeah. That would this would be his second film. That's correct. Yes. Right. Um, right. But get, Grave of the Fireflies. Yes. Like I said, that and My Neighbor Totoro were released at the same time. Yeah. Uh, together on the same bill. Yeah. Um, April sixteenth, nineteen eighty-eight. Yep. Because of this film. People have been really drawn to the area, Sayama Hills, in, in uh, I think it's just outside of uh, the Tokyo area. It's this beautiful forest that, uh, it's, it's, I think, where Miyazaki grew up or near where he grew up or had some time in his childhood. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, somehow he was attached to this, and, and this area kind of came uh, into his head as he as he made the film, and because of this film, it has grown into uh, quite the effort to take care of it. And there is actually a thing called the Totoro Fund now, that actually is a, a foundation that is preserving the beautiful uh, habitat and kind of the all the different cultural assets in the Siyama Hills and its surrounding areas. So it's actually an organization now that uh, sends volunteers out to kind of clean it up and take care of it, which I think is pretty fantastic that it all kind of spurred from this movie. That's awesome. You yeah. know what else is awesome? This is another thing from that, uh, from that documentary. Uh, is, you know what he does every day? He gets up. He takes a takes a walk and picks up trash, and oh, then he that's... goes. Then he goes back and takes a shower, and he does something else with some sort of a brush. I wasn't quite clear on some of his morning activities. Some of them I didn't <laughs> need to know. But the part where he picks up trash every single day as part of his morning ritual, just in his surrounding community, I thought was pretty special. That's great. Talk about you know you look at the sort of influence of the environment and and that's something we didn't specifically talk about but you know in the the ritualism of the of the environment in in Totoro and all of his films really in some way shape or form he is um, this this that is a major symbol uh, in his set pieces and this is just obviously it's a very personal thing. Well, and in this film, I think it really is kind of a um, you see kind of the beginnings of his thoughts on nature and how uh kind of that respect and love that that we should have with it and i think it's a very touching scene when when the dad who for all intents and purposes doesn't really believe that the kid saw this totoro thing but is just like oh you must have seen a, a spirit of the forest and he takes them to uh the camphor tree and kind of that little prayer place or whatever it is kind of that just kind of that weird that little temple that's built kind of out in the middle of nowhere and they just kind of say a prayer to it like thank you for uh letting us be here and stuff like that and i think that's a really touching uh, depiction of the connection that these people have to nature and the strength that his characters get from that um and kind of the the flip side of that in the yin and yang when you don't have that how it can be more detrimental in, mm -hmm. in some of his later films yeah it's really this whole totoro thing aside from the fund it's inspired art like there was a whole art show the totoro forest project art exhibition that's gone around um and you know from that there's a whole book where you can buy this uh well you can't buy it it was a um uh, this special like book that was released um to people to buy at an auction and you can buy it but it's like nearly five hundred dollars mm -hmm. if you want to go buy this book on amazon um but i mean just looking through uh some of the images 
of the art in the book. I mean, it's just beautiful, beautiful stuff inspired by nature and Totoro. And I think it's just fantastic that this film has kind of spurred all of this on. I love the, uh, the, the sort of the circle of life uh, aspect of that, where uh, in 2013, scientists named uh, a velvet worm Totoro. Right. Uh, Totoro, which looks like the, uh, the cat bus. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. That was the only part, the cat bus, that uh, started feeling a little bit like Yellow Submarine to me. <laughs> really? Just went, it, didn't, it went full Sergeant Pepper. That's so funny. I love how the cat bus, like it's all of its little tail lights and brake lights and stuff. Yeah. Are like little rats. Yes. And its, its eyes are glowing red. Yeah. <laughs> Such a strange little detail. I, I didn't I didn't think much about it at the time, but uh after seeing the documentary this week, I, I realized, you know, hearing he doesn't write scripts, then cat bus just screams writer's block to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yes, well, Hayo couldn't figure out his way out of this one, so he introduced a fifteen-legged cat with doors that just ev- just erupt out of its side like some sort of a cyst is burst. Oh man, yeah. that's too funny. It's pretty good. Too All funny. Right. Well, like I said, this film was released with uh, Grave of the Fireflies. I found numbers. I couldn't figure out if these numbers represented the entire double bill or just Totoro, or just Grave of the Fireflies. Mm. I'm just going to assume that it's my neighbor Totoro. Um, but it cost about $3.7 million to make. And it ended up grossing oh, $3.7 million, which is about $7.3 million in today's dollars. Mm-hmm. It ended up grossing... Um, the grosses, I couldn't really figure out, again, if it was domestic or international or what, but about $5 million. Again, not a ton of money. Um, this actually was considered the worst opening of all of uh, Miyazaki's films. Um, it really had a hard time connecting with audiences, and and they weren't sure if it was because of the double bill or what. But it wasn't until, I guess, they released it shortly after um, on television, and they did this promo where they gave away like little Totoro dolls, and that is actually what spurred it on to become... A much bigger success so i don't have any numbers for any of the 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 following the subsequent video releases and all that just the initial theatrical which was um 3.7 to make 5 million uh gross which boiled down to an adjusted profit per finished minute of about thirty thousand dollars all right well as off as it is it's still a nice uh a nice return yeah and yeah. you know it spurred it's only, Totoro into cultural infamy. Yeah, for Pete's sake, he's in uh, Toy Story 3. He's in South Park. <laughs> he's everywhere. He's everywhere. Yes. Uh, well, I think it's probably time for us to rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, everybody. And as you are wont to do, set up an account, friend us, like us. And start ranking movies and let us know where do you shake out when you start ranking movies like My Neighbor Totoro on your very own Flickchart account. We want to hear. Let's get, let's get to it. My Neighbor Totoro or Kind Hearts and Coronets? I'm going to say My Neighbor Totoro. I'm absolutely My Neighbor Totoro. My Neighbor Totoro or Sleepless in Seattle? Mm. I'm going to hold the door open for you on this one. Very different types of films. Um, I'm going to say Totoro, though. Really? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Did not see that coming. I'll go with Totoro. I'll go with you. There's, it's it's the it's the imagination I think in the film that uh, 
gives it the win. Okay. And I love Sleepless, so. Oh, I know you do. Oh, I know. And we'll see where the, how this next one goes. My Neighbor Totoro or Fight Club? Fight Club. <laughs> I would say Totoro, but I'm going to give you Fight Club because I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty flexible on this one. Okay. Uh, my Neighbor Totoro. God, this is like, it's gone down Pete's Alley now. My Neighbor Totoro or Moneyball? <laughs> Moneyball. <laughs> I would do Totoro here. You want to you go to the mat? I'm going to go to the mat. Let's do it. Ready? Yep. One, One two, two, three, three paper. Oh. Boom. All right. You just got money, money balled. Text. My neighbor Totoro or the social network. I'm going to, I'll leave this one to you. Oh, this is a tough one. I know. That's, it feels like a gift. Oh, a gift geez. maybe more to me. Yeah. To it's watch a gift you go you. through it. You're a terrible person. I'm going to say Totoro. Okay. I'm saying Totoro again. I'm giving it to it because of the uh, imaginative uh, nature of it. But boy, I, they're both they're Yeah, both I mean, I, I, I would definitely go for the social network if it was just me on my account. Because, yeah. uh, because I think that there is... It, absolutely right. Totoro is beautiful and the imagination is gorgeous. And it for it doesn't really have a script and i think the social network is a magnificent script and and it, the artistry of putting that film together and the, the just the image of it and telling a story that the the sort of fabulous story of facebook using the way the language paints enough of a picture for me that i i have to hand it to social network but i also feel like you need a break <laughs> The last loss was was just grim, and I, I wow, you to, that's like you know you yeah. sell it and then you say, and then I just, but no. yeah, 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 terrible person. <laughs> My neighbor Totoro or the Sting? Oh well, the Sting. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I say Totoro here. Okay, I I re- I mean I'm I'm. I've gotten my wins out of the way. The ones that I'm most uh, concerned about, I'm, I'm, I've, my plate is clear. <laughs> okay, we'll go with Totoro then. My neighbor Totoro or the thing? Oh, from the is... sting to the thing, and I know. I'm going to say the thing. Really? Absolutely. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> my emotions are just all askew, Andy. Oh man, I have no idea what to make of this turn of events. I know. I will go. Uh, I was gonna go Totoro. The thing is equally imaginative and <laughs> truly terrifying. I, I and cannot that film, believe that. That film, uh, yeah, I I love that film. It is so grim that it's, you compare the sweet, beautiful, <laughs> transformative story of Totoro, and you're that that we even are put in a position to have to rank these two movies against each other is already a flick chart hate crime. But the fact that you would choose the more diabolical of them after the conversation we just had. <laughs> I know. It's a terrible thing, but... I'll give you the thing. I'll give you that terrible thing. <laughs> Take it and run. Please tell okay. me we're finished. All right. There we are. Number 42 out of 210. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. Fantastic. All right. Uh, and what is your star rating, sir? This is five star for me. Yeah, me too. Excellent. That makes that easy then. <laughs> yeah, no, that's easy. I don't need to do anything with you on that. 
Uh, okay, so except, now... Except tell people that they can go see all of our ratings and star ratings over at letterbox.com slash the next reel. Well, I would, but you've already done it. Oh. <laughs> but I will ask you this, Andy. Where do we go from here as we wrap up our very brief, sadly brief, Hayao Miyazaki series? Yeah, it is really brief. But, uh, you know, going from the beginning to the middle to the end, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a nice little dose of him. And we are going to be finishing up with his uh, final film. Uh, according to him, he has retired. And the last film of his was The Wind Rises from a few years ago. We'll be ending with that next week. I can't tell what you're saying about that. Are you saying that he is some sort of subversive where he is uh, he is now going to come out of retirement? I don't know. I, I think people I don't think want, he's like that. I don't think he is either. I think people just want him to because they want to see more of his magical yeah. films. I mean, once but, again, that documentary, he is, says a n- number of times, what am I doing still drawing over 70? <laughs> I think he's done. Yeah, I think he is too. And I mean, you know, he goes out on a pretty high note. Yeah, so he really does. I don't I don't see anything wrong with that. I will say the Wind Rises is not streaming anywhere. You can buy it, you can get it on the Netflix DVD plan, on the subscription plan you can get it, but you can't stream it anywhere legally. So super sorry about that. Jeez. You know, or can you rent it anywhere digitally? Like it's just not there, which makes me super sad. Um, but I think uh, it's just because it's Disney is uh, controlling it, and it's too recent for them to do that. Yeah, it's in the vault, the Disney vault, right? You it's, used to work in the it's vault. Not, it's not in the Disney vault yet. That's where they lock things up um, mm. after it's been out enough. You know, then they hide it away for like seven years. Yeah, because this but one, uh, Wind Rises, was just 2014 U.S. Yeah, right? I mean, that's right, exactly. Very recent. And so it's it's so recent that they're just not allowing it to be anywhere. Yeah. And unfortunately, like they do with many of their films, um, their recent releases, you can get the digital uh, copies of it with it, but not the uh, Studio Ghibli films for some reason. Bizarre. Yeah, so I don't know if that's kind of something with the uh, ne- negotiations between the two mm-hmm. in their release or what. But yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't know if any of the Miyazaki films are actually streaming anywhere. Uh, well, yeah, uh, the, is this just Cagliostro? Which isn't uh, that was before, no, but that was Studio Miyazaki. Ghibli. But none of the, I, I couldn't find any of the Studio Ghibli films streaming. Yeah. So, if you have other means to get this film, you should, you know, think about it. You'll have to do it. Before you execute. Okay, that's it. On that note, uh, I'm going to go to bed. All right. I got some forest spirits out in the backyard dancing around uh, my garden, so I'm going to go out there and do some dancing with them and hopefully get some stuff uh, sprouting. My rutabagas and my arugula out there, and I've got some some, uh, watermelon, and I've got some uh, watercress, and some some onions and garlic and lettuce and watermelons and cantaloupe and carrots and beets I love beets Okay, so uh, our set of, well, okay, uh, we're starting at the bottom of the barrel. I've got one from Don't Replace Your Old VHS with This Disney Version. 
uh, from Pilar. Let me start by saying my family loves this movie, and our original VHS is very worn out. I was hoping to replace the tape with the Disney DVD release. I was so disappointed. They changed Satsuki's name and pronounced it Satsuki. Yuck. They added unnecessary, unnecessary dialogue. One of the things I love about the original is that it doesn't try to explain everything. It makes you think. If you're trying to replace your old VHS, this is not the one to buy. It's probably fine, but for anyone who hasn't seen the original, My Neighbor Totoro. Mm. Well, I don't know. There, Go ahead with yours. I, you know, people are always going to find complaints about these things. This is a DVD review uh, from uh, 2014. One star. This movie was a waste of money. This movie was a waste of money. Very repetitive there. I have been watching this movie for 15 years. That's... <laughs> A lot of watching this movie. <laughs> and this one movie I bought off here, the voices and names in the movie are different. It is in no way original. You know, I think that the problem is that people get attached to a certain version of the film and yes. then get very upset with uh, the different versions. A lot of people, most people who rate it, um, <laughs> here's one, Mr. Miyazaki is God and this DVD is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, people get very upset that Disney redubbed it. Um, a lot of people seemed to love that Fox slash um, uh, Troma. That's who it was. Troma, right. Um, a lot of people seemed to like that dub. They felt that it was a little more true to the original. But, you know, I read reviews of that dub and, and critics seemed to think that it was pretty flat and, uh, and cardboardy. So... You know, you never know. You never really know. I think this version is fine. I think a lot of people had problems with the original DVD when it came out. Uh, the Blu-ray that Disney did release has uh, the English and it also has the Japanese. So you can watch it either way. And I'm sure that people uh, will get over the fact um, that it's got the, the dub that they hate on it. And we didn't really mention, like, ideally, just watch the one with the subtitles. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I would always prefer to do. But watching with the kids, I mean, you know, you just can't do that yeah. and uh, until they're older. But right now, uh, certainly can't. And, you know, I think that these voices do a great job. And like I said, Roger Ebert, uh, whatever he said last week or what I said that he had said, um, it's an animated film. It's always going to be dubbed. Yes. Yes. True. And in fact, this one, when you really look at it, it's it's even more... Uh, jaw chomping than Caliostro. <laughs> it's just ma 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 ma. They could be saying right. anything. Yeah, their it's mouths the perfect are... movie for dubbing. It's perfect. Yeah, very big animated yeah. mouths. All right. Hey, good talk, Amazon. What's the movie that we're talking about today? Uh, My Neighbor Totoro. By Hayao Miyazaki. It was about two sisters who had a very imaginative imagination. <laughs> but what did you think of the movie? Did you like it? Good. You I like liked it? it. Did you like it? Did you love it? Is it I your, liked it. Is it one of your favorites ever? Mm -hmm. There was crying and sadness and happiness and excited and surprised and like mad and it's like weird stuff i liked it because like it was about like two sisters that were getting along pretty well cool to watch them get along so well 
Did it make you think of your relationship with your sister? Yeah. Why? Because, well, me and Sophie don't, like, fight a lot, but we still love each other. You do fight a lot? Yeah. Oh. We do. You do. Well, the older sister was at school, the younger one went and followed a ghost rabbit into the forest and then fell on a giant ghost rabbit. Ghost rabbit? <laughs> they look like ghost rabbits. The movie made me feel surprised because, like, there was, like, growing and there was, like, where did you come from? I liked when he disappeared and was laid on the ground. And it was like, look at that new house. And it was like, the gremlins would go like, <laughs> They made the girls scared. Because they were like little glowing, like little spider puffballs with eyes. What, what, is it? what is a Totoro? It's a giant animal uh, about large high. <laughs> large high? Well, I don't know how to say it, how tall he is. How Way many, taller how than... How many of me is a Totoro Two. One and a half. One and a half U's. A Totoro is about one and a half dads tall. Where was he when, when I was sleeping on his tummy? Where was he? Have you ever seen a Totoro before? Or any other spirit of the forest? No, I haven't seen any spirits of the forest. Do you think that the the little ones will grow up to be big Totoros, or do you think that they're just a different kind of Totoro? Different kind. And they always are small? Yes. Do you like Totoro? Yeah, I like Totoro. Why do you like Totoro? Because he's fluffy. <laughs> they're magical. They're like magical creatures. Like unicorns and stuff like that. They're sort of like myth- mythical creatures. They 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 want you to see them when they when they when they want you to see them. But you usually don't see them cuz they're hiding. Some some of the smaller ones come out at night and day. What do you think they look like for reals? Like a big oval and a big straight line. And like a lollipop. Yeah, I could <laughs> So if you if you met Totoro, if you met a great big Totoro, what would you do? I would touch him. <laughs> they were parented a little weird. Cause it was it was like their dad just ignored them. Basically. They just he just said, Okay, as long as you're okay, you can go play anywhere. Their dad their dad would be like better if he was more bossy because he because he was like go have fun and do what you want and you're like go do your homework what you are (laughs) well clearly you have more homework than these girls do do you like collecting acorns i have a whole bunch but now they're gone they're gone yeah I thought you had a whole bag of them in your room. Well, they're gone. They're gone, gone. Yeah, you, you, you put that little um truck set 
throws trash into stuff, you you got rid of that and the eggs were in it. The garbage truck? Yeah, I had that. And, and it, it has a thing right here, and it lifts up stuff. You throw that away. I did? No, you got away. You got, you got rid of it. Um, I think it would be cool that to see Sook Grandma or Spirit of the Forest because you could play with them and like other people wouldn't see them, just you. And then you could like, to other people it would look like you had an imaginary friend, but then you wouldn't because they're the Spirit of the Forest and only lucky people get to see them. I loved the cat bus. It was awesome. Because it was it looked like soft and fluffy and a good way to run around. It like was invisible and it had awesome spotlight eyes. And a lot of legs. I think the movie was a little bit slow because um like I didn't really like the part where they got they became friends later in the movie, like at the end, instead of at the beginning. Nothing really happened in the movie. Um I guess May got lost, but otherwise it was just a series of tiny little problems, not like one big thing. It was like a bunch of little tiny story hills instead of one giant mountain. I think me and Sasuke were really lucky, maybe because they were new and they didn't know very much, so um, they became their friends to just have a warm welcoming at the end of the like in the movie I thought well I guess all of this is fake but then at the end I thought well maybe it was just their imagination like the Totoro and the cat bus and the dust mites the dust mites were just like they imagined they saw eyes on it but it wasn't Actually, it wasn't actually real, and the dad was just going along with them. I'd like it like the the castle of Cagliostro had more action to it because it was like a thief and a hero at the same time. I think that he's serious and he really tries to help the forests. He gets the wind. And that helps all the plants grow, and he makes it rain. What happened to their mommy? Who got sick. Yeah. And they got a cold. And where is their mommy? At the doctor. Yeah, she's at the hospital, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you think that she'll get better? Yes. Uh-huh. It's them getting used to having their mom in the hospital and getting used to moving to a new place and a new school. Satsuki had a lot, a lot more, like she kind of seemed like a mom at some points. It was kind of the story of her growing up. So I think the Totoro and the girls um, could have became friends earlier in the movie. I think they'd make a better movie. Where would you go if you could ride in the cat bus? I would go to Japan. <laughs> what did you think of the part when um, Satsuki and that boy 
would stick their tongue out at each other. That's funny. Yeah, is that one of your favorite parts? Because they're like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you stick your tongue out at your sister? No. No. Do you? No. Do you? <laughs> no. What was your favorite part of the whole movie? When Satsuki went like, mmm. What, what, what were you just doing now? Sticking out my tongue. You like that when she stuck her tongue out at, at uh, Kanta? Yeah. And that he stuck his tongue out at her? Yeah. You stick your tongue out at boys? No. <laughs> it was a good movie because I felt like I was like being sucked into the, into the film. And because it was, it was pretty good. I I don't know how to put it in words. If there was a sequel to My Neighbor Totoro, it'd be called My Neighbor Dadaro. If I had to pick one that's better, I would pick Totoro. Instead of? Lupin the Third, because it's just really fun, and like it feels like you're actually in the movie. It makes me feel like it might, I'm there. Do you like Totoro? Mm-hmm. Do you like the character Totoro? Mm-hmm. Would you want to cuddle up with a big Totoro? Yes. Sleep with one. I'd recommend My Neighbor Totoro to other kids because I think if they could, like, see what they, like, see other mythical creatures, then they could see this. It was a good movie for people who are not selfish and don't let their parents do all the work. But it was a little slow. I loved My Neighbor Totoro. It was a great movie. I'm not saying it like a robot. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022... We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.